Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood, a retired submarine officer. I'm also a private pilot, martial artist, engineer, and a lifelong fan of science fiction and fantasy. I've written and published dozens of stories across the entire spectrum of speculative fiction. So sit back, let your mind wander through realms of adventure as I tell you a story. Hey friends, episode 7 of Storytime with Michael Kingswood. And we're going to deviate a little bit from the program on this one. That's why I'm releasing it at a different time of the week. I'm not going to do Veritas Morte. I'm going to intersperse a little pimpage of some of my other stuff. Uh, in this case, uh, a novel, The Pericles Conspiracy. I drew this audio for this straight off of a video I did on my video channel a couple months back. Make it easier for myself, and so you can hear some of that unprofessional reading that I warned you about. Because why not? Anywho, uh, hopefully you like this excerpt from the book, and we'll get back to Veritas Norte in the regularly scheduled time in the next episode. Enjoy. Just when you thought you were rid of me, I'm back. It's Michael Kingswood here for story time. And this time it's actually going to be story time because I'm going to read a little bit from my book, The Pericles Conspiracy, uh, which is uh, the longest book I've ever written. came out in the uh, fall of 2013. It's 222,000 words, 408 pages in the paperback. And uh, as you can tell, unlike the Glimmer Veil vale Chronicles, which I talked to you about before, that's sword and sorcery. This is straight up sci-fi and a bit of thriller, action thriller to it, too. Uh, uh, he's got this started on this. In the uh, summer of 2011, didn't finish it till the summer of 2013 because I had a bunch of other stuff going on and, you know, writing other things, doing stuff, you know, Navy stuff, you know. I was not slaving for two years. <laughs> it was really, it took not that much time really to write. Um, but that's how the timeline worked out. Uh, this follow-up of another story that I wrote previously uh, called uh, The Passing in the Night, which I had written as a... Novelette for entry into a writing contest, the uh, Writers of the Future contest, which is a pretty prestigious contest in the science fiction world. And uh, it was the first thing I ever submitted anywhere, and I got an honorable mention in the contest, so I felt pretty good about it. And they had, uh, and that story, and when I finished it up, I immediately had got the notion of, okay, well, I know what's happening next. And that turned into this book. Um, I've had Passing of the Night out there for you know, several years now, just for free, just as a uh, sort of a teaser and a way to draw people into this one. Um, you can go read it if you want to. You don't have to, because uh, I do a pretty good job in the book novel of summarizing what happened in there. Uh, I'll read the back cover copy for you here first. Josephine Ishikawa's last shift as captain of the Starliner Pericles changed the course of history, but no one knows about it. The powers that be took charge as soon as she got back to Earth with only a few, select few permitted to learn about the beings she encountered during the run from Gliza, or the eggs they entrusted to her care. Satisfied that the government would make good on her commitment to return the eggs to their home world, Joe returned to her job of getting Pericles through a major maintenance overhaul and then back out to the stars. But when she learns that the authorities reneged and have begun experimenting on the eggs instead, she faces a difficult choice keep the life and career she loves, or embark on a quest to rescue the eggs and keep the promise she made to their dying parents out in the depths of space. 
That quest could cost her more than she ever imagined, as it plunges her into a shadow war against a planetary government that will stop at nothing to keep its secrets. So that's the uh, conceit. Here's the first scene from Chapter 1. Chapter 1. Pickup Lines. La Chupacabra was almost empty. A few patrons sat at tables along the wall opposite the bar, and two more were at the bar itself. A plump, middle-aged man in dirty work coveralls at the near corner, and at the far end, a slender woman with short-cut black hair dressed in dark business attire. The bartender idly wiped down the taps halfway down the bar, and a lone waitress chatted with a patron at one of the tables. Vid screens behind the bar displayed the latest headlines and sports scores, but their volume was muted. A tune from the middle of the pop charts played over the bar's speakers, just loudly enough to make it difficult to hear a conversation from more than a few feet away. He would have expected more business, considering it was hump day. Just two more days until the weekend, after all. But he was just as happy for a sparse crowd. He hated having to search through a throng to find his mark. As it was, a quick, quick survey as he paused at the tavern's entrance revealed this evening's objective. He smiled slightly and walked to the far end of the bar. He paused as he reached the chair around the corner of the bar from the slender woman. He cleared his throat, but the woman already noted his presence, favoring him with a slight frown and a quirked eyebrow. The seat taken, he asked. She shrugged and looked away, back to the closest vid screen, where, from what he could tell from the closed captioning, some talking head was pontificating about what effect the latest elections on Centauri would have on interstellar trade. Her choice of programming made sense, considering her occupation. As he sat down, he was struck by the woman's appearance. Ten year-long shifts as captain on a starliner, plus the time to move up through the ranks to reach that station meant she had to be in her early to mid-fifties at least. Still, he could have sworn she still had a few decades before she reached her middle years. She did not look a day over forty. Her bio said she was the product of a marriage between a Japanese man and an English woman. In his experience, women from East Asia tended to age well, but even still, he was impressed. The bartender sauntered over. What'll it be? Bud Light. He noticed the woman smirk ever so slightly before taking a sip of her drink as the bartender moved back to the taps. He figured she would prefer to drink something more exotic from one of the colony worlds, but unless he missed his guess, she was drinking a 7-7. Seven and seven. Hardly the height of sophistication itself, and not exactly a perch from which to scoff at his beer. You ever study ancient history? She glanced at him and rolled her eyes. I'm not looking for company right now. Sorry. Don't mean to impose. She sniffed and turned back to her news vid. A moment later, the bartender returned with his beer. He accepted it with a smile of thanks and tapped the pay pad on the bar. His database implant interfaced with the base system and applied his standard tip rate automatically. The bartender looked surprised, then pleased, and voiced his thanks before moving away. Tipping well was always useful for opening doors, he found. He sipped at his beer for a few minutes, watching the news vid with only the vaguest of interest. It was a moot discussion. Whatever effects the election caused had already occurred more than 40 years ago. Folks on Earth were only now hearing about it, of course, but whatever changes they made in response would also be extremely time-late in reaching Centauri ears. So what was the point? Glancing back at the woman, he noted that she, too, looked a bit amused at the discussion. Of course, she would know the futility of it more than most. Time to try again. So I was reading the other day about an ancient Athenian ruler, a guy named Pericles. She stiffened slightly when he mentioned the name, but recovered and sipping her drink again without bothering to look at him. Is that right? She sounded annoyed. 
Very interesting man. He took another drink of his beer. He took over while Athens re was rebuilding with the per from the Persian Wars. He fostered the arts, built the Acropolis, endorsed Athenian expansionism. During his reign, Athens became the greatest political force in the region. But then, of course, he pushed too far, made Sparta nervous, and so he had the Peloponnesian War. He didn't leave to see it, but eventually Athens fell beneath Sparta's military might. Fascinating. Look, I really don't want company, so I heard a story about another Pericles recently. She froze, her expression suddenly becoming wary. He continued on. Starliner, by that name, comes in from the Gliese system, just like normal. But there's nearly a week's delay in unloading the cargo. The crew's sequestered. Interviewed by government agents, they say. All but the fourth shift are out within a week. That shift is sequestered for more than a month. Six months later, Malcolm Ngubwe, the fourth shift's engineer, dies under, shall we say, mysterious circumstances. And then that same shift's pilot, when Carlton Hirsch and his wife Allison, the ship's doctor, leave the Starliner company for work planet side. He shrugged. That's not so unusual, except that he was in line for promotion to captain. Kind of a strange time for a career change, isn't it? I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. He leaned toward her, noting her expression shifting from wariness to nervousness. What happened out there to cause so much fuss, Captain Ishikawa? She swallowed, pulling away from him. Who are you? He tapped his thumb and forefinger and waited for a moment. When nothing happened, he sniffed in annoyance. He figured she would have upgraded to the interactive database implant by now. She'd be back long enough, and those implants made forgetting names a thing of the past. He always kept old-style holocards, though, just in case. Pulling one from his pocket, he slid it across the bar to her. His credentials were plainly visible. Jeremy Reynolds, investigative reporter, Star News. She picked it up, her eyes narrowing as she read it, and she stood, dropping the card onto the bar. I got nothing to say to you, Mr. Reynolds. She turned to leave, but stopped as Jeremy grabbed her arm gently. There are rumors of a new strain of disease on board. The public has a right to know the truth, Captain. She hesitated, then pulled away from his grasp. Good night, Mr. Reynolds. With that, she walked away at a brisk pace. She was out of the door quickly and never looked back. Jeremy remained in his chair for several minutes more, finishing his beer and shrugging off the bartender's quip about him striking out. There was definitely something there, and he was going to find out what it was. All right, so that's the start of the book. Uh, I enjoyed this one, it, uh, writing it, and I, when I go back and occasionally look at it, I enjoy reading it as well. Um, a lot of action, a lot of intrigue, you know, obviously some politics, um, more than a little philosophy, and, uh, and, and I like to think uh, some good thought-provoking, like, what, what is the right answer here kind of, kind of situations. Um, so like I said, uh, that's been out for a while. It's got pretty good reviews, and uh, folks seem to like it the most part um big complaint some people seem to have is that the first the passing of the night which is the prelude is all in space and this one is mostly on earth they don't get back to space towards later until later in the book um and some some folks who read the first one who read the prelude anyway um expect it to be all space bound and they got pissed off when it's not so um don't know what to tell you the description kind of i think makes it clear that it's you know, sort of a political thriller and uh, on Earth. Anyway, uh, like I said, you don't have to read Passing in the Night to uh, to uh, enjoy this one. 
Uh, you can if you want. It, it's free. It's easy. Um, but I highly recommend checking checking it out. Uh, either or both books. Uh, that's all I got. Uh, as always, come by the, my website, sign up for the mailing list, or just roll by Patreon and uh, drop me a buck or three, or ten, or a hundred. Uh, but yeah, but definitely go check, pick up those books, give them a read. I think you'll like them. And if you don't, uh, blame somebody else. <laughs> Alright, have a good one. Until next time. Later. That'll do it for this episode of Storytime with Michael Kingswood. Come by my website, michaelkingswood.com, for information about my work. There you can sign up for a newsletter where I tell about new releases and special promotions. Guaranteed to be spam free. Or just drop me an email at michael at michaelkingswood.com and I look forward to hearing from you. If you really like my stuff and feel like giving me a buck, drop by Patreon and sign up to be a patron. As always, if you like today's story, be sure to leave a review on your favorite online bookstore and share this podcast with all your friends. This production is copyright Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.